Okay, gang, y'all must think that I am going to announce when the rapture is going to occur. How many signed up because you thought that was going to happen? There you go. I appreciate that. appreciate your honesty. Okay? Um, how many signed up because Revelation is your favorite book in the Bible? A oh, couple. I appreciate that. How many of y'all just routinely for your devotional time go read the book of Revelation? Mm, yeah, um, only a couple. Uh, I'd say that's probably pretty fair, okay? Um, well, one of the things I love about studying the book of Revelation is that it gives us an opportunity to really dive in to uh, learn more about who Christ is and about who he is not only now, but who he's going to be as we are with him in the future, Okay? So um, I'm excited for the uh, opportunity to do this over the course of the next five weeks. Um, I guess one of the things I ought to do up front is introduce myself. I'm Bobby Crotty. Um, I serve as the minister to men here at Watermark. Uh, I've been on staff for now over five years, which is uh, a little bit hard to believe. Uh, but I still think of myself more as a lawyer than I do as a uh, pastor, because I was probably a lot better lawyer than I am a pastor. And you can ask uh, um, my team, my equipping team. Uh, um, we started off our journey together as an equipping team, uh, getting in a big fight on the uh, first day that we were all together, started by me. Um, because, you know, I did something in the courtroom, or I did something in my um, equipping team meeting that I've done a thousand times in the courtroom and never got in trouble for it in the courtroom. I mean, I had been interrupted, and uh, just like this cute girl is getting ready to interrupt me right here and give me my Dr. Pepper that will make things right. Uh, that's my bride, Sarah. Um, and so um, I just said, excuse me, but do you mind if I finish? And, uh, you know, the rest of the room kind of reeled back like uh, they'd been slapped. And I got to learn up front one of the things that I learned, love most about this church and that's how to handle conflict and how to do it biblically and well. And, you know, it's funny because uh, I was telling my small group of guys that I met with the very next morning about what had happened and about what I'd said and about um, how, you know, God, the reaction was just not at all what I expected. And those guys just fell over laughing and guffawing about, uh, you idiot. I mean, of course they didn't react like they do in the courtroom, okay? Um, and so I've learned some things about resolving conflict. And, uh, you know, I hope that that's one of the reasons that you may perhaps be drawn to Watermark is that uh, it's a church who's willing to be transparent enough to say that, hey, conflicts happen in life. And the ability to handle them well is something that sets us apart as believers, you know? Um, the Lord says that uh, people are going to know that you're my followers by the way that you love each other. And when we love each other enough to uh, uh, speak the truth in love and to do it in kindness and uh, with gentleness, that makes a difference. Okay, there's still a bunch of seats right up here. So y'all in the back, come on up. Um, okay, so I've been doing this for five years. I've had a chance to teach uh, the book of Revelation several times, okay? And uh, uh, I've done it uh, with a 15-minute overview for Summit. Um, that was a little scary. 
and so this will be the longest time that I've had to do it. So we're going to do this for five weeks. Um, if you want to be guaranteed that you're not going to be crowded, be here on July the 5th because the, the turnout will be about half of what we have here, okay? Um, so, but that's going to be a really great week because we're going to be talking about the judgments, okay? The book of Revelation is organized around three series of seven judgments each that we'll talk about. And so we'll be talking about those on July the 5th. Uh, and it'll be a time where you don't have to sit in the front and you can have some elbow room and it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I have up here a number of books from my library that uh, um, at the end you're welcome to come up here and look at and browse through. Uh, we've got everything from uh, long involved commentaries to very short punchy you know, commentaries that give you kind of the right answer or that particular scholar's approach to the book of Revelation. Uh, and so I'd encourage you to come up and look at these. Um, this book is uh, called Revelation. It's written by Dr. Charles Ryrie, and it's one that I've been through with my uh, summit group. And it's a great little book to help you as you dive into uh, the book of Revelation if you're looking for a little extra help. In fact, um, for those who are brave enough to answer questions tonight and uh, in the future weeks and do it well. Um, I've got uh, copies of Ryrie's book to give away, so be bold, okay? All right. Um, one of the things we're going to try to do tonight, ladies, there's still a bunch of seats right up here. Um, one of the things we're going to try to do tonight is give you an overall perspective of the book, Okay? the 30,000-foot view tonight. And then in the future weeks, I'm actually going to go through what we're going to do week by week, but in the future weeks, we're going to dive in uh, more closely. But So hang with me tonight. We're going to be looking at kind of the, the macro view, if you will. And uh, as I start, you need to know that uh, really there are only a few things about the book of Revelation that I really hold on to tightly. And really there's only one. And that one thing is that Christ is coming back. He will return. And that's certainly worthy of some applause because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Okay? And so um, um, everything else that I'm going to be talking about tonight, um, I'm going to have a couple of slides that are in the watermark uh, doctrinal statement. And so that is the watermark position. But otherwise, these are things that we really hold on to pretty loosely, okay? Because um, the Scripture gives us guides as to uh, um, what the book of Revelation has for us. But uh, um, there, um, for every scholar that sees it one way, there are probably about ten others that see it a totally different way, okay? So I want to encourage you to hold these things loosely besides the fact that Christ is indeed coming back. Okay, um, one more announcement before we uh, get started, uh, and this is worth the whole price of admission right here. On September 29th, uh, Watermark is going to have an apologetics conference, okay, um, and it's going to deal with uh, answering um, the um, critics out there in the marketplace of ideas about challenging what Christianity stands for, 
and uh, um, we've got really what is going to be the best lineup of Christian apologists in the country this year coming to Watermark on September 29th. It's a Saturday. It'll run from 9 in the morning till 5.30 in the afternoon. And um, um, right now, uh, Watermark members can sign up until uh, July 1 for a reduced price. And then after that, it's going to be opened up to anyone able to come. But we expect it to sell out. And so I would really encourage you to uh, uh, check this out on the Watermark website. Okay? September 29th. It'll be well worth your time and uh, uh, the small price for admission. Okay, so let's take a look at an overview of what we're going to do. So this week, we're going to do the overview and we're going to dive into uh, chapter one. And we're going to see that not only is this whole book about Christ, but especially the first chapter is all about Christ. Okay? Uh, week two, we're going to deal with uh, John's letters to the seven churches. Week three, um, as I told you, we're going to talk about the judgments. Week four, we'll talk about the second coming in the millennium. And then in the final week, we'll talk about uh, um, um, the um, um, things of eternity, new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth. And uh, we'll also take an opportunity to uh, review and I hope to have time at the end of each class for questions. Uh, but I really want, uh, because we have such a large group, to limit the questions to things that we've talked about tonight. I will stick around after we're done tonight uh, and each week until you're done asking questions. So don't feel like that your questions are going to go unanswered. Um, we will uh, uh, do our best to answer every question that you have. And if we can't do it here, I'm certainly uh, available and uh, happy to meet with you um, at Watermark Coffee uh, during the week. So um, hang on to your questions, write them down, and we'll uh, uh, pay attention to get those answered so that you don't go away thinking, well, they just didn't uh, deal with what I really wanted to ask about. At the same time, I don't have all the answers, okay? And so it's uh, simple to say that uh, there are going to be questions you may ask that I just go, you know, that's a great question. I really don't know. I will do my best to find the question, but you're going to, I know, ask some questions that folks just don't have an answer for. Okay? Gang, there's still a few seats right up here. Okay? So everybody, again, squeeze in a little bit to give those uh, folks in the back a chance to uh, jump in there. Um, so... Why study prophecy? Well, I got interested in prophecy uh, uh, right after uh, the time that uh, uh, I became a believer in Christ. This was in high school. And uh, I um, had a buddy. His name is uh, Jay Carter. He's a doctor here in Dallas. And uh, uh, Jay and I just, you know, we just dove into uh, studying prophecy together when we were in high school. And uh, um, we had a great time, and I'll never forget one night, I was spending the night over at his house. And, uh, um, you know, it was late. I mean, you know, we were seniors, not a care in the world uh, for those high school senior days again. I'd like that. Um, and so uh, we were listening to this tape about the rapture, and it was pretty exciting. And right at the most exciting part, um, Jay's dad came downstairs and went, boys, and I jumped six feet. 
because I thought it was the trumpet going off. And I just knew we were going up. Unfortunately, uh, like so many people, um, I was wrong about that, okay? One day we won't be wrong, okay? Um, but ever since then, I have been fascinated by um, prophecy and especially by the book of Revelation. And so what I want to do uh, for you uh, throughout this five-week period is to give you an overview of the book so that you, from here on, can study the book on your own. The win for me in, in teaching this class is if I can communicate to you my love for the study of the Word and my love for Christ. And if you go away feeling equipped that, hey, when I go read the book of Revelation on my own, that I know what's going on. And if I'm in uh, chapter 6, I know that, hey, well, these are the seal judgments. And they're one of a series of uh, three different sets of judgments. And there's seven seal judgments. And so those are the sort of things, kind of the big picture overview that I want to give you for this particular book. Okay? But most of all, I want to communicate um, a love for Christ and a love for his word. Because this book... Um, like all the books of the Bible, but especially this book, is so much about the person of Christ. Okay? All right, so why do we study prophecy? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Win our first book? Well, let me get us started. Um, prophecy proves the authority of the Bible. Okay? There's no greater proof of the inspiration and the validity and the authority of the Bible than fulfilled prophecy. You know, the fulfillment of prophecy reveals um, that God knows the future, and then that gives us confidence that we can trust him with the present. So it gives us uh, the uh, authority of the Bible. It proves the authority of the Bible. It reveals God's wisdom and power. It reveals the purposes of God. You know, sometimes when we're moved to think that, man, the world is out of control. And, uh, you know, where is God? Is he asleep at the wheel? Uh, nothing will assure us more than knowing that God has a prophetic plan for uh, the way in which history is going to unfold. Um, prophecy, the study of prophecy brings peace to believers in Christ. Because, you know, if God is in control of history then we can have peace that his plan is good and then ultimately his plan will be accomplished. And finally, and really this is the most important because this is where the rubber meets the road, uh, we study prophecy to produce a holy life, to have an impact on the way that we live our daily lives. Okay? You know, almost without exception, the New Testament references to the coming of Christ, to his second coming, are followed by an exhortation uh, to godliness and to holy living. And that's what his uh, coming should inspire in us. It ought to give us hope for the future, and at the same time, it should give us the confidence to share the hope that's within us with others. It ought to motivate us to say, hey, watch out, there's judgment coming eventually. Now, you know, that's not very popular in the public square. 
But um, I was downtown one day um, several years ago, and I don't know what I was reading or doing, but I was standing on a corner when I started to go because I thought I saw the light change. And I felt this hand reach out and grab my shirt and jerk me back just as a bus came by at about 40 miles an hour. And this African-American woman had noticed that I was not paying attention, and she saved me from stepping in front of that bus. And you know, when we share the good news about Christ, that's what we're doing. We're saving people from stepping in front of a bus that is indeed coming. And so that should motivate us to be willing to share the good news about Christ. Okay, so I don't want to just be a talking head up here, but I want to play a little game with you as we start off. And we call this game Revelation or Revelation, okay? <laughs> and so I'm going to ask you a question, and I'll give you the first one. Um, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you answer it correctly... Uh, then you will get a little booklet. But if you don't answer it correctly, then you're going to have to, for in front of all this assembled multitude, and it's a lot bigger than I planned on it being, you're going to have to reveal something about yourself that we don't know. Okay? Does that sound like a fun game? Come on. Come on. It sounds like a great game. All right, now I did this at the Kanakuk Institute when I was teaching a similar sort of class. And uh, they were 70 kids that were, you know, after college and whatnot. And they knew each other pretty well. And they really got into the game because they heard some things they had after six months still not heard. Okay? And so, you know, let's keep it at least PG rated. But uh, um, uh, the first question, let's move on over to it. Which book of the New Testament contains the most Old Testament references? Who said that? Revelation. There you go. See, this is an easy game. Okay. Whoa, there goes my Dr. Pepper. Um, okay, so that's pretty easy. All right. Well done. You know, Matthew is a book written to the Jews, and it contains um, 150 different uh, Old Testament quotations, maybe more, maybe a few less, but a bunch of Old Testament quotations and allusions. Revelation, on the other hand, doesn't include any Old Testament quotations directly set off as such, but it includes hundreds of allusions and references to Old Testament things. Okay? All right. This, now we get a little tougher. Which three of the Old Testament prophetic books are alluded to most in Revelation. So, one. Give me one. Ezekiel's correct. Okay. Daniel's correct. Who said Isaiah? All right. I'm running out of books already. Um, I'll just keep these, and the three of y'all come up and grab your books. These are spoken for. Okay. That's correct. Uh, I thought I'd, caught, I'd catch somebody there for sure. Okay. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are the three most alluded to books in uh, the book of Revelation. Okay? Next question. Which other three Old Testament books have the most significance for the composition of Revelation? Okay? Yes, ma'am. Pardon? 
Zechariah's one. Good. Well done. Book for you. Um, who said Joel? Stand up, sir. <laughs> you get to be the first to reveal something about yourself. And do it loudly so we can all hear and celebrate your boldness. He's, uh, now, now we got to, come on. This is Watermark. We live transparent, authentic lives. Okay? All right. That's worthy. Well done. I like that. That's a great thing to reveal. Congratulations. That's, uh, that's quite a milestone. Okay, not Joel. All right? Not Joel. All right? So, again, the question is, what three other Old Testament books have the most significance for the composition of uh, Revelation? Raise your hand. Someone said Job? Job is not correct. Stand up, please. My stage name is Kit Caden. All right. Kit Caden. And where, uh, where do you act or where have you performed? Awesome. Doing what, what? What? Just plays or singing? singing. Excellent. All right. Um, if you know the Revelation song by Carrie Job, we may get you to sing it before the night's over. Okay, Jody. Psalms is incorrect. You may stand up. Forty-eight years. Married forty-eight years. That's impressive. All right. Congratulations to the Currens. Okay. Way in the back. Exodus is right. Book for you. Come see me afterwards. Why Exodus? What about Exodus? Just a guess. I appreciate your honesty. It was a great guess. Well, think about the judgments in the book of Revelation and what do some of those judgments sound like in the book of Exodus? The what? No, not the logs, the plagues. Yeah, the plagues. Okay? All right, so Exodus is correct. All right, so we've only gotten one so far. Is that right? Or uh, we got Zachariah, so we got two. One more. All right, Richard. Nahum. Nahum is incorrect. Stand up. Uh, I got a ticket last Saturday night to North Carolina. Uh-huh. Four? Four speeding. Four speeding. And how much over were we going? Uh, that's nothing to Wagner. No big deal. <laughs> Not a problem. All right, so we're up at Estes Park last week, and it's Watermark in Estes Park, and um, the next time they have that, all of y'all should sign up to go do that because that is really fun. And uh, um, anybody here who was up there? All right. Oh, a bunch of hands. Um, and so they had this uh, uh, deal called Wisdom from Wags, and he had this jaw that moved up and down, and it was hilarious and uh, um, uh, they also had a skit called uh, The Waggles. And uh, one of the things they did was uh, ask Pastor Todd about uh, his driving habits and whether if you went one mile over the speed limit, would you go to the Lake of Fire? It's very appropriate for the book of Revelation. And uh, uh, I guess they concluded that no, you would not go to the Lake of Fire. 
uh, that there were other criteria for that. But uh, don't miss Estes Park next time. All right, I'm still looking for one more. Yes, sir. That is wrong. <laughs> one year. All right, congratulations. That'll work. All right. Okay, Luann. Genesis. Why Genesis? Well, it is all about Jesus, but it's also the beginning of all things. And then we come over to Revelation, and we're going to talk about this on the last night in particular, if I can get this uh, uh, microphone to cooperate. Um, we're going to show how Genesis began, all sorts of stuff, and how Revelation concludes it, okay? So don't miss that last week, because that's where we're going to tie it all together. Book for you, Lu Luann, and a kiss from Rob. Way to go. Um, that's uh, always permitted here. All right. Okay. So one last time for you to shine and get a book. And this is an easy one. Which one book would you pick is the most influential on Revelation and why? Daniel. All right. Well, maybe that one was too easy. Daniel is the correct answer. And we're going to see that... Um, Daniel is alluded to more than proportionally than any other book, okay? There are, I think, at least 31 references to Daniel 7 alone. So it is a book that uh, John knew well and that he used, okay? All right, so let's dive in. Let's go to the official stuff now, okay? I've copied from the Watermark website. This is what Watermark says uh, about the end times, okay? We believe in the personal, imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church. This event, commonly called the rapture, will be followed by great tribulation on earth and will culminate in the return of Christ to earth to set up his millennial kingdom. A bunch of scripture there. Okay? In times. Then it says on the eternal state in the next section, we believe the souls of believers in Jesus Christ do at death, immediately pass into his presence and there remain in conscious bliss until the resurrection of the body at his coming for the church when soul and body reunited shall be excuse me, associated with him forever in glory. We believe the souls of unbelievers remain after death in constant misery in Hades until the final judgment of the great white throne. We'll talk about the great white throne judgment. At the close of the millennium, we'll talk about the millennium. When soul and body reunited shall be cast into the lake of fire, not for speeding, okay, but for their rejection of Christ. Not to be annihilated, but to be punished with everlasting separation from the presence of the Lord in scriptures. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? And that's why we should be motivated to share the good news about Christ with everyone we come into contact with. Okay? So that's the official stuff. Um, so what sort of attitude should we have towards the book of Revelation? Well, the first one, I can't understand it. And besides, there's so many different interpretations. Who knows what's the right interpretation? And so I'm going to just ignore it. War, is, this is the most important book in the Bible, and I am going to study it to the exclusion of everything else. And we've kind of gone from one extreme to the other. And of course, the, the right answer is the one in the middle. That this book is important, 
And I should study it because all Scripture is important. Okay? And I should know the whole counsel of God. And I guarantee you, gang, that to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to know and understand your Old Testament. Okay? And even though much of it's about the future, it gives me hope for the way I live my life today. And it gives me motivation to tell others about Christ. Okay? So it's that last view that I hope you will be inspired to follow as we go through this study. Okay, um, principles about the end time. You know, sometimes uh, even I ask myself, you know, is this really real? Uh, is there really going to come a day? Because some days it just seems like, you know, man, the Lord isn't coming and, you know, uh, the bad guys are in control and uh, life is not very pretty. But it is real and God's not kidding around about this. There really will come a day of judgment. Um, before I taught... Uh, an overview of Revelation in 15 minutes to summit um, one semester. Uh, I was talking with Kyle Kegler, and I said, Hey, Kegs, um, you know, give me some words of wisdom about this. And he put it so succinctly, and it really worked in a room full of guys. I don't know if it'll work as well today. But what he said was, Get your butts ready. And that's true. We are to be ready for the return of Christ. And we do that by the way we live our lives on a daily basis. We do it by being in the Word, by, by praying, by having a prayer life that uh, gives us a relationship to Christ so that when we see Him, we will know Him because we have spent time with Him in prayer. And we're to um, be ready in the way that we love and serve others. So God isn't kidding around. And one day there will come a day of judgment, and that's when the suffering servant of the first advent will come as a conquering king riding a white horse and leading the armies of heaven. And that's going to be pretty exciting. And so the question is, whose side are you going to be on? You know, with a room this big, there are probably some folks who are sitting in here tonight who have not finally made a decision about what they think about the person of Christ. And so, whoever you might be, I want to just share with you the good news about Christ, that, as Romans says, that we are sinners and separated from him, that his standard is perfection, and that we are on the far side of a chasm way wider than the Grand Canyon, and that there is no way on our own merit that we can get across that chasm. But in the way God always does, he took care of that for us by doing something that is unthinkable. I've got a son, and the thought, as I sent him over to Iraq, about him dying for uh, uh, Iraq just, you know, made my blood turn cold. But the thought of God sending his son to die for me is exactly what happened. Okay? And so, whose side are you going to be on? You know, until the Lord calls us home, we've got a chance to make that decision. And so if you're sitting out there tonight and you've not finally done business with Christ, I would love to talk to you afterwards. You know, 
That is the most important decision that you can make, even more important than the person you'll marry or the job you'll have or any of the other big decisions that you make um, on almost a daily basis. That is a decision with eternal consequences. And so I'd love to talk to you. Until we draw our last breath, we still have an opportunity to trust in Christ. But then when we have drawn that last breath or when the Lord returns for his church, then the chance is gone and our eternal destiny is set. Um, this verse from uh, uh, Hebrews, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. And we'll talk about that. Um, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Now, today, today, if you're out there and not made decision about Christ, today, this is our moment, our chance, uh, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back. He's holding back his judgment to give you a chance to make a decision about his son. But it won't last forever, and we must take it or leave it. Great book, Mere Christianity. All right, so let's dive into uh, um, Revelation. Author is uh, uh, the Apostle John. Uh, I think there are all sorts of reasons that um, speak to that, um, ranging from uh, the use of distinctly Johannine uh, terms, such as logos, and he uses Lamb of God. He even has a prologue uh, to the book of Revelation, just like, he had a prologue to the Gospel of John. And so the uh, uh, similarities between the two books, use of the Hebrew idioms, and even the fact that the early church fathers, um, a number of them all co uh, corroborated that it was indeed the Apostle John who wrote uh, uh, this book. And one thing you'll see in this book is the authority of the author comes through, Okay. And so his authority with the churches underscored that um, it was uh, the Apostle John who wrote this. The date, there are really two scholarly schools of thought. One is an early date, about 65 A.D., and the other is a late date. I think the late date is more likely. It makes sense to me that this would be the final word to close the canon of Scripture. So uh, the 95 A.D. date is one that I think makes the most sense. The purpose... Uh, to reveal events that will take place immediately before, during, and after the second coming of Christ. Now, I love the way the book starts. Open your Bibles to uh, Revelation 1, and you can just hold that place in Revelation 1. We're going to uh, be uh, doing some work there. It starts off, um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place, okay? And hey, you know, if he said they were going to soon take place then, we're 2,000 years closer, so they're a lot sooner for us. But I think the word really means that that's going to occur suddenly. And you know, it's like one of those things. It's like waiting for uh, a big trip or something like that. You know, you wait and you wait and wait, and then suddenly it's upon you. And it seems like that time that you've been waiting has just flown by. And ultimately, one day, one generation of uh, folks is going to have the privilege of being alive at the time Christ comes back. Will this be the generation? I don't know. It could be. Um, but 
for every generation from uh, John's day in the time of the seven churches up to today, the issue is, are we going to be ready? Okay? All right. And uh, uh, the last thing, and I love this um, in uh, verse 3. Look at Revelation 1-3. It reads, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and then do what? Heed or obey, follow, um, believe and live out the things which are written in it for the time is near. Uh, Wolver, Dr. Wolverd was uh, president of Dallas Seminary and a, a great scholar of uh, prophetic times. Uh, I see Nika back there uh, uh, cheering for Dr. Wolverd. Um, he's written uh, this commentary on the book of Revelation that's great. I'm using a lot of stuff from, from that. Um, but uh, he says that um, Revelation 1-3 is uh, the only place, here is the only uh, book of Scripture that contains such a direct promise of blessing. Okay? And think about it. The early churches, uh, you know, no Xerox machines, no uh, printing presses, etc. So if they got a letter, then someone would stand up. And you see this in the verse itself. It says, blessed is he who reads, he singular. And then those who hear. So one person is standing and reading the letter. And then everybody else is uh, uh, listening, and there is a blessing available both for the one who reads and then uh, a blessing available for those who hear if they'll do what? If they'll heed, if they will obey what's in it, if they will make Christ the center of their lives and be ready for his return, if they will live lives of full devotion to Christ. Okay? A great blessing that's uh, um, found there. And it's the first of seven different blessing passages in Revelation. You know, I said there's no homework, and, and there really isn't homework. But if you want to get the most out of this study, if you'll just read along in Revelation, you know, take, take a, a day off from the journey and read Revelation uh, for your daily devotional, okay? Um, you will be blessed by what you read, okay? And uh, uh, as you read through it, look for the other blessings. You know, um, I'm a pretty uh, simple-minded sort of guy. If it says you'll be blessed for doing this, I want to do that. Okay? Is that, I mean, that's not hard. Um, it's like my coach used to say to me uh, when I'd say, hey, coach, it hurts when I do that. He'd say, well, Crotty, don't do that. Okay? <laughs> and so, hey, if you're going to get a blessing for doing something, I'm for being blessed. And so uh, use this opportunity as we study this for the next five weeks to receive that blessing from reading uh, the, the prophecy of Revelation. Okay, let's talk about some uh, terms related to the end time. Rapture. Everybody's probably heard of the rapture. Okay, it comes from uh, a Latin word that's a translation of the Greek word harpazo, that just simply means caught up, okay? And it talks, it means, it refers to the removal from the earth of the church, um, let me start over, the removal from the earth of the church age believers and those who have died in Christ during the church age to be with Christ forever, 
Okay, and so when we're talking about the rapture throughout these next five weeks, that's what we're talking about. The tribulation refers to that seven-year period of unparalleled trouble on earth that will um, commence after the rapture and culminate in the second coming of Christ. But the rapture itself is not the triggering event of the tribulation, and we'll talk about what it in fact is. Okay, and some scholars refer to the last three and a half years of the tribulation as the great tribulation. Okay, and there's some uh, verses there for you. And uh, as y'all know, you've got all these slides and a place for you to take notes as we go along. Um, the um, next four terms Day of the Lord. This phrase is used in the Old Testament a bunch, and it usually refers to uh, judgment that's coming, okay? And uh, uh, in, the New, in the New Testament, it will typically refer to Christ's second coming and the judgments that are associated uh, with the tribulation that culminate in Christ's second coming. And so you have to be careful when you're reading Scripture to understand exactly which day of the Lord it's talking about, Okay? And there are a lot of different synonyms for uh, Day of the Lord uh, in Scripture as well. Second coming refers to Jesus' bodily return to the earth at the close of the Great Tribulation. Um, we'll talk about that in the fourth week. And then we'll uh, also talk about the millennium, the thousand-year period. And I think that that's going to be a literal thousand-year period uh, when Christ reigns physically on earth. Uh, he'll be physically present here on earth and uh, uh, will reign uh, likely from uh, Jerusalem. Okay? And then finally, uh, the great white throne judgment refers to the judgment of the dead by Christ after the millennium. And you can read about it in uh, Revelation 20. Okay? All right, so... Scholars and people have different views about when Christ is going to come back, and they have different views whether they believe in the rapture or not. Uh, if they do believe in the rapture, they have different views about when the rapture is going to occur. Okay, Watermark, as you saw in the uh, doctrinal statement, um, is, uh, a, holds to a premillennial return of Christ in the second coming before the millennium. And uh, Watermark's doctrinal statement indicates that uh, we believe in a uh, rapture that will occur before the tribulation and that believers in Christ will be removed from the earth before the tribulation period, okay? And so uh, we're going to talk about um, some different views. Uh, one is called uh, postmillennialism right here. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. And then another one called amillennialism. And uh, um, on the views of the rapture, you can see this by the red arrows up here. Uh, we believe in uh, the rapture will occur at the conclusion of the church age. It'll be the terminating event of the church age. That the church will be removed to be with Christ then forever. And uh, um, there are folks who believe. And this is, again, one of those things that... Uh, um, you know, you don't want to hold on tight to because there are people who uh, believe in Christ and who are part of his body who have different views on these issues. Uh, some believe that uh, uh, the rapture will occur at the midpoint of the tribulation, known as uh, mid-tribulation rapture, 
And then some believe that the rapture will actually occur right before the second coming, and it'll be one of these go up and come back down uh, sort of things. Okay? So three views of uh, the second coming, when that will occur, whether it's uh, uh, before the millennium, whether it's uh, after the millennium, or whether, uh, as amillennialists believe, and op, you know, means not, um, they simply uh, spiritualize or they believe in a symbolic millennium and don't take the thousand-year uh, reign as a uh, literal time frame, okay? So let's talk about a little bit about those. Okay, so three systems of uh, viewing the uh, end times. Post-millennial, uh, post-millennialism, easy for me to say, is a view that the kingdom of God is now being extended in the world through the preaching of the gospel and that the world will be eventually Christianized. Um, this system believes that Christ will return at the close of a long period of righteousness and peace called the millennium. And my conclusion on that, like Goldilocks, is that that is simply too hopeful because they apparently have not read the paper lately. It uh, doesn't seem like the world is being Christianized, even though the gospel is being shared all over the world, okay? Uh, and that, too, is a mark of things that will happen uh, in the latter days. But uh, to me, that system is simply too hopeful. Then amillennialism rejects the idea that Jesus will have a literal thousand-year physical reign on earth, and it believes that the millennium has already begun and is identical with the current church age and sees the church as the fulfillment of the biblical promises to Israel and believes that Christ will return at the end of the church age in final judgment and establish a permanent physical reign. And to me, this view is simply too inconsistent. Once you start spiritualizing things in the Bible, you know, where do you stop? And just as um, Christ's first advent literally fulfilled prophecy, I think the events uh, preceding his second coming will also, and also after his second coming, will literally fulfill the things of Scripture. And I would suggest to you, and Watermark believes, that uh, Jesus' second coming will occur before his literal thousand-year reign on earth. And in doing this, we use a, a normal or a literal uh, method of interpreting biblical passages concerning the end times. You know, if it says that the millennium is going to be a thousand years, you know, we believe that it's going to be a thousand years, okay? Um, if it's only 900 years, are we okay with that? I am. But, you know, I, I think that it's um, important to, to say that as we look at this, we need to consistently apply an approach to interpreting Scripture. And um, premillennialism uses a, a literal approach to interpreting Scripture. Um, this approach consistently distinguishes Israel from the church, and it sees the final fulfillment of the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants in the coming millennial kingdom, where God will um, finally deal and complete his promises uh, to the Jews, okay? And my conclusion on that, like Goldilocks in the final chair, is that it's just right, okay? And to understand the book of Revelation, you really have to understand the book of Daniel, 
okay? And you need to understand Daniel's timeline, uh, his 70 weeks timeline, okay? You can find this if you'll turn to uh, Daniel 9, uh, starting in uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 25 or so. You'll see that uh, um, there's a reference to seven weeks and 62 weeks, and that uh, from the decree to rebuild the city, which I believe occurred in uh, 444 A.D., when Artaxerxes uh, told Nehemiah to go rebuild the city, and you can look at this in Nehemiah 2, 5 through 8, that that started the clock beginning the uh, period of the seven weeks plus 62 weeks that culminate in the triumphal entry uh, when Christ came into Jerusalem. Okay? And uh, that period of time runs until it says the anointed one shall be cut off, which I think happened at the crucifixion. And those 69 weeks of years, and that's what we're talking about here, weeks of years, 69 times uh, 7 is 483, okay? And so of the 70 weeks, the 490 years, um, 483 were accomplished from the Artaxerxes decree up until uh, just before the crucifixion of Christ. And then we have what's known as the great parenthesis in history for the church age, Okay? And during this time frame, that's where we are right now, where um, instead of God uh, dealing with mankind through his chosen people, Israel, he, he uses the church as his ambassadors to the world. The folks sitting in this room are his representatives to take his good news to the world. Okay? And so... We don't know how long this will be. It's called a, church, uh, a mystery. You can uh, look at Ephesians 3 uh, to uh, read some about that, 3, 1 through 10. But at the conclusion, when as many people are going to believe in Christ, um, when the time is full, then Christ will call the church home. That's when we believe the rapture will occur. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 17. Okay? Now, that is the terminating event of the church age. And that will conclude, or that will give us an opportunity to start Daniel's 70th week. Okay? The seven-year period that we also call the tribulation. Um, the triggering event of that uh, occurrence is the peace treaty that's referenced in Daniel uh, 9, uh, 27. Okay? And it says that uh, uh, the prince of the people to come will um, implement a treaty or a covenant with the many. The uh, many is a uh, reference to uh, uh, Israel. And there will be a priest treaty uh, initiated between the Antichrist and Israel. Okay? And that will begin the seven-year clock for the tribulation. Okay? In fact, um, the... Seven years is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. We get the seven-year period uh, from the book of Daniel. All right? And so the seven-year tribulation is also known as Daniel's 70th week, and it will be a time of literal hell on earth where God will execute his judgments against those who, uh, who refuse to believe in his son. But it will also be a time in which he gives people time after time, 
uh, an opportunity to trust in Christ. So it will be a time of great judgment and tribulation, but it will also be a time of blessing for those who will accept the opportunity to trust in Christ. Then um, at the midpoint of uh, the um, tribulation, the Antichrist will set up in the uh, rebuilt temple uh, in the holy place an abomination of desolations that Christ talked about in Matthew 24. Uh, you can check verse 15. It's also mentioned in Daniel 9, 27 and a couple other places, at least one other place in Daniel. Okay, And so this will occur at the midpoint of the tribulation, and, it'll, and we'll talk about this more, but it'll be a time when the Antichrist will say, okay, uh, I've been nice to the Jews long enough, and now I'm going to require everybody to worship me. And he will set himself up to be worshipped. And uh, he may well erect a, um, some sort of statue of himself, and uh, we'll talk about that as we look at uh, Revelation 13, okay? Um, so that's the midpoint of the tribulation. And uh, that's why some scholars refer to the last three and a half years from this point forward as the great tribulation because it's going to be even worse than the first half of the tribulation, okay? That will be punctuated by Christ's return. And... Um, you know, you hear the, the word Armageddon thrown around a lot. Well, uh, the word Armageddon appears in the Bible, in the New Testament, certainly only one time in uh, Revelation 16. And uh, it refers to what is not just the last battle, but really the last campaign as the armies of the uh, world gather at Megiddo. I, I'll actually have some pictures for you of the... Uh, um, Valley of Megiddo. You'll get to see what that looks like. And um, it is a huge uh, valley that you can see how the armies of the world would have a place to gather there. Napoleon uh, called it the greatest battlefield uh, in the world. And that's where the final campaign and the final battle. And we'll talk about that uh, in the fourth week. Uh, and we'll see what Christ does as he returns at that point. With him will be the armies of heaven. And who's going to be in the armies of heaven? Us. I think uh, the believers in Christ will be uh, coming back with him as a part of his armies of heaven. And that's going to be pretty fun because we're not going to have to do anything. And um, our king will do all the fighting for us. And what does that sound like? Well, doesn't that sound like the way we live our lives? If we will stay out of his way, he will allow us to be the person that he calls us to be. Okay, and so with the second coming, we'll initiate a, a thousand-year period of uh, uh, peace and prosperity unrivaled in history. And you know, a thousand years is a long time, and uh, there will be uh, people at the end of that period of time whose great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents will have believed in Christ, but somehow um, it hasn't drifted down through all the ages. And those folks will be, Satan will be loosed at the end of this time frame and will have a chance to once again deceive. And uh, 
people will choose to uh, follow him instead of the Lord, that the Lord will put a quick end to that. And with that, we'll uh, head to the great white throne judgment, which I think will be a judgment of only the unsaved. Um, I don't think that we will be there as a part of that. Um, and once the great white throne judgment uh, is finished, it will initiate uh, what we call eternity. New heaven, new earth, and that sort of thing. And that's what we'll talk about on the uh, uh, fifth week. Okay? Um, all right. Let's jump to just an overview of the book. And um, if you'll have your books open, we'll just thumb through uh, what we have in the book. Okay? And I tried to pick seven things... Uh, on this slide and seven things on the next that'll just give you an idea of what's going on as you progress through the book. Okay, we start off with a vision of Christ in uh, um, chapter one that we'll be talking about more tonight. And then uh, chapters two and three are the letters to the seven churches. I didn't put four and five up here, but we have um, in the judgment section, we have a pattern that we will talk more about on the third week. And it's a pattern of grace coming before judgment. Doesn't that sound like the way uh, God does business with us? He gives us grace opportunity after grace opportunity uh, before he sends judgment. And so chapters 4 and 5 occur in heaven, and there are a grace interlude before the beginning of the first of the three series of judgments, the sealed judgments, that we'll read about in... uh, Uh, chapter 6, and uh, also a little bit about the last seal we'll read about in the beginning of chapter 8. And between the 6th and 7th seal judgment and between the 6th and 7th trumpet judgment, which is the second series of judgments, uh, we'll see a grace interlude in how God once again gives people a time out to say, hey, will you believe that I am who I say I am and that my son is who he says he is? And so we see uh, the three series of judgments. Uh, We've got the seal judgments in uh, 6 and a little bit of 8, and we have the trumpet judgments in 8 and 9 and then a little bit of 11. And uh, drop down here, the bold judgments uh, are found in Revelation 15 through 16. And we've got a little interlude with uh, um, what I describe as uh, the identification of the seven great persons of the end times drama in chapters 12 and 13. And I don't mean great in the sense of we want to grow up and be just like all of them because one of the great persons, one of the great players in the end times drama is Satan, okay? And so we'll talk about each one of the different seven folks. And then chapter 14, I think you can actually see what some scholars have called uh, an overview of the uh, whole uh, end times sort of uh, process. Uh, This picture, and I forgot to uh, tell you on the uh, first slide, but um, that first slide was a picture of the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And uh, it's also known as the golden or beautiful gate, and that's the gate through which Christ will return when he comes back. This is a picture from Masada. We're actually looking out at the uh, uh, Dead Sea there in the background. You can see it right in here. And uh, um, if you uh, have a chance to go to Israel, go. Um, is Israel is a chance to see Scripture in 3D, is how I've heard it described, and it's true. that You just see the pages of Scripture come alive as you see the places 
that you've read about in Scripture. Um, so Masada is something that uh, you definitely ought to visit. Um, and then for the last portion of the book, we have the fall of Babylon, both political and religious and commercial Babylon in 17 and 18. In 19, we've got the uh, wedding feast of the Lamb and uh, a time in heaven, the wedding feast of the Lamb in the second coming, uh, followed uh, at um, concluding the campaign of Armageddon, uh, followed by the millennium, Satan's being turned loose in final defeat, the great white throne judgment, and new heaven and new earth. So that's an overview that I hope you'll use as you read through Scripture so you'll know where you are whenever you're in a particular chapter. Okay? All right. So now turn back to Revelation 1. And to me, this is really the key verse of uh, uh, the book of Revelation. Um, John is told, Therefore write first the things which you've seen, and I think he's done that in chapter 1. I think this verse gives you a great working outline for the book of Revelation. So write the things that you've seen. We'll see that in uh, chapter 1 where he has this vision of Christ. And the things which are, I think those are the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And the things which will take place after these things, or the Greek literally says after this. And it's interesting that uh, um, those two little words after this pop up several more times in the text, okay? And so um, one, uh, one through three deal with things like kind of like past, present. And then in chapter four, we deal with a future event, okay? And so um, the things which will take place after these things Verse 1 of chapter 4 begins with the same Greek words after this. And it gives you a clue that these things are the future events that uh, John is writing about. Okay? Any questions about that? Revelation 1.19 is a great overview and gives you an opportunity to... Um, Understand where you are as you read through and study the book of Revelation. Okay, so now let's uh, just uh, open up your, uh, keep your Bible at uh, Revelation 1, and let's just look through that. You can see in uh, um, verses 1 through 8, there's a little prologue, an introduction uh, to the book. And as I uh, mentioned earlier, it's similar to the prologue in John 1, uh, verse 1 through 18. And it also, um, Revelation relates, Revelation 1 relates a vision that God gave John that prepared him for what followed. And this vision shows that Christ is the culminating figure of human history. And it prepares the reader for uh, the revelation of Christ's future acts that really constitute the bulk of the book of Revelation. And, you know, it, it starts off the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is both a revelation from Christ, and it's also a revelation about Christ. And you're going to see how in chapter 1, he is the uh, central figure, not only of this chapter, but of the whole book. 
which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then we see the blessing that we uh, talked about earlier in verse 3. And then John starts off, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And he identifies uh, later on in, uh, uh, let's see, verse um, 11, um, which those seven churches are. Uh, I think those are churches that John had probably all visited. Uh, They're right there in a little semicircle, right there around Ephesus, where John was based. And during this time frame, um, 95 uh, AD, he actually is exiled on the island of Patmos. Okay, and we'll talk about that in just a second. In uh, Revelation 1-4, uh, several of the early church fathers uh, uh, wrote and uh, um, recorded that the Romans sent John as a prisoner from Ephesus where he was uh, serving as a pastor uh, to the island of Patmos. And that occurred in approximately uh, AD 95. And while he was there, you know, think about it. If uh, Christ's uh, ministry ran from about 30 AD 30 to AD 33, and John was 17, 18, 20, something like that. Um, then he was born in about 10 or so. Well, 95, he is an old man, and he has been exiled uh, to this rock that is the island of Patmos. It's in the Aegean Sea, just southwest of Ephesus. It's about 10 miles long and 6 miles wide uh, at its uh, widest end. And it served as a penal colony for Roman political prisoners. And John remained there uh, from the time um, he was sent there by uh, Domitian, who was uh, the Roman emperor. But Domitian died in approximately 96, and um, uh, John was freed and allowed to return uh, to Ephesus. Okay, so he's writing from the island of Patmos. And if you think about Daniel, where was Daniel when he wrote his book? He was in exile too. He was in exile in Babylon. John's in exile um, on the island of Patmos. You know, Daniel is described in a couple of places in the book of Daniel as one whom God loved. And what do we know about the apostle John? How is he described in the gospel of John? He is the one that uh, Christ loved. And you can see the parallels between the lives of Daniel and the life, the life of Daniel and the life of John, how these guys who loved God with all their beings were the ones who were entrusted with the uh, most compelling prophetic word in the Old Testament and the final prophetic word in the New Testament. And it just shows that God um, cares about hearts. You know, he doesn't care about our head knowledge. He holds us accountable for what we know because he wants us to live that out, but he cares about our hearts. And what are we going to do with our hearts? And both Daniel and John were men who um, God loved because their hearts were fully devoted to him. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a room full of Daniels in a room full of Johns, as we are his ambassadors to a watching world. Uh, in verses 5 and 6, the book is dedicated to Christ, and it ascribes three things to him. It says, To him who, one, loves us, 
The Greek there is a present tense, which means that he keeps on loving us. It's a continuous action that he continues to love us. And he freed us from our sins by his blood. His death is the basis for our cleansing. And then finally, he made us a kingdom and priest to his God. And what was the responsibility of uh, the priests? Well, the priest was to represent the people to God. And now, in the church age, we are a kingdom of priests where we have the privilege of coming directly into the presence of God because Christ has opened that way for us. And so we can represent ourselves to God. And then, in turn, we're sent out to be ambassadors for him to a watching world, to your neighborhood, to your workplace. You know, it's amazing. God could use this chair right here to do a better job of teaching this class. I guarantee it. Than than I could, if he wanted to. He could make the rock speak. Uh, But he chooses to use us. And it is a grace opportunity to go live out what we're called to do. To see where our heart belongs. In verse 7, you have uh, what I think is the theme of the book. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Uh, That's an allusion to Daniel, uh, the first of uh, 31 separate allusions to uh, Daniel 7 alone. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And you know, gang, um, today, we see how that can happen. On the internet, you know, every eye will have a chance to see him as he comes back. And the question is, whose side are we going to be on at that point? Well, I hope everybody in this room is gone, okay? I hope we're not there. Uh, But the question for those who are is, whose side are you going to be on? And then in, uh, um, let's drop down to uh, um, verse 11. Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking, Uh, it's a voice like a trumpet, this is like Jay Carter's dad's voice, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And we'll talk about each one of those churches next week, okay? Okay. And so he, this is the first of 12 different instructions that he has to write what he sees. And then we'll see in verses 13 through 16 uh, the vision that Jesus saw, and I'm sorry, that John saw, in which Jesus is pictured as what? He's pictured as a judge. You know, it talks about how he has a sash over his shoulder. Well, a priest would have a sash around his waist. A judge in uh, the first century would have a sash around his shoulder, okay? And so it's a picture of Christ as judge. And you see that um, throughout the book of Revelation, he appears as a judge of the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, of the whole earth in Revelation 4 through 16, of religious and commercial Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, of the world rulers at Armageddon in Revelation 19, of Satan in Revelation 20, Uh, He's the judge of the earth during the millennium. He's the judge of the rebellious people on earth at the end of the millennium. 
And then at the great white throne judgment, he is the judge of the unsaved dead. And, you know, that's no surprise to us because we read in John 5, 22 and 27 that the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. And verse 27 says, And he, the Father, has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. He is uniquely equipped. He's been here on earth. He has walked uh, this earth. He has been tempted as we are tempted. And he is perfectly qualified to serve as the only righteous judge. Um, I have here, and we're running out of time a little bit, um, some of the things that uh, this chapter reveals about Christ, that he has a revelation, servants, he has a testimony. I love this in verse 5, that he's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings on earth, that he loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God, that he's coming with the clouds and he is like a son of man. He knows what we're going through. He's clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest like we talked about, the picture of a judge, and that he's the first and the last. He's the living one. He died once, but he's alive forevermore. And then, how about 18? He holds the keys of death and Hades. And if we can't trust the one who holds the, death, the keys of death and Hades, who can we trust? So um, in reading Revelation 1, as you uh, think about it um, this week, uh, look for other things. I counted at least 31 different things that this reveals, this chapter alone reveals about Christ. And I would challenge you to keep a notebook and just call this notebook the things that I'm learning about Christ in the book of Revelation. And as you read one, write it down and then put the verse after it so you'll be able to find it again. Okay, And then you'll be amazed at the end of these five weeks what you have learned about Christ. Okay, um, well, Let's take a look specifically at verses 13 through 16. And I want to talk about the seven features that we see listed there. Um, let's see. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long... Uh, robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Again, this is an allusion to Daniel 7, 9, and it pictures the wisdom of age and the purity of holiness. And it corresponds to the vision of uh, the Ancient of Days, uh, God the Father, that Daniel gives in uh, Daniel 7, 9. And it gives us a picture of the deity of Christ who possesses all the same attributes that God possesses. And then uh, um, it says that his eyes were like a flame of fire. Uh, Daniel 10.6 says, talks about eyes like flaming torches. And it's a picture of both judgment and omniscience, a searching righteousness and divine judgment on all that is impure. Um, then it says his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And Daniel 10.6 talks about legs that gleamed... Um, like the gleam of burnished bronze, and is a picture of purity and strength and stability. Burnished simply means uh, uh, highly rubbed and polished, and it may picture the earthly trials that Christ experienced uh, when he was here, 
Those are the things that make him a sympathetic high priest and equip him to be a righteous judge. And the bronze reminds us of the uh, Old Testament type of bronze. Uh, Remember the bronze altar where uh, the sacrifice for sin was made? And then I love the voice, like the roar of many waters. Um, We were up up in Colorado last week, and we got to hear a waterfall that just, you know, uh, I'm sure Niagara Falls sounds louder, but this one was pretty dadgum loud. And it's like the um, sound of many waters. That's an allusion to Ezekiel 124 and also uh, 43.2 in a picture of power and authority. Right hand... um, is a picture of uh, possession, protection, and sovereign control. And it's also a place of honor. And we'll see that these stars that he holds, we'll see in verse 20 how John interprets those for us, that symbol. The mouth has a sharp two-edged sword coming from it. It's a picture of judgment with his word. You know, the Romans used the sword as a principal offensive weapon. And the uh, word here is the romphia, and it's a long, heavy sword that was a dis- devastating uh, battle implement. And it really pictures a weapon of devastating judgment. And then finally, his face, like the sh- sun shining in full strength. Uh, Daniel 10.6 talks about a face that has the appearance of lightning. And it's a picture of holiness and righteousness. And we see um, this is who the uh, king that we follow the Savior that uh, we love and that uh, we're committed to. And he is a righteous God worthy of worship and being followed. And so we come to the uh, point of the evening where we really ask ourselves the most important question we can ask ourselves, so what? So what are we going to do as a result of what the book of Revelation says. Okay? And in answering that, you've got to answer answer that question of, do I really believe this? Do I really believe this? And if you do, then, you know, we can think about a thousand things I need to change in my life. No amens from my wife, please. Um There are a thousand things that I need to change in my life, but what one thing do I need to change because of what I'm learning about Christ? To be more like him, to be conformed to his image, to um, be like him as I represent him to others. What one thing needs to change in your life uh, so that you're using your time for the kingdom before Christ returns and establishes it? How can you do a better job of making a priority? If I were to ask you right now, if you knew Christ was coming back next week, what would you do differently? Well, you know, probably a thousand thoughts race through your minds. But you know what the right answer is? I wouldn't do anything differently. Then you know that you're living your life as Christ calls you to live it. But that's the question. We don't know whether he's coming back next week or in December of uh, 2012, like the Mayan calendar says, or 2013 or 2014. But we do know one thing. 
the longer he tarries, the more it gives us opportunities as the body of Christ to go tell others, to pull them back from that bus that's coming uh, towards us. Okay? Um, and the final, if so, if you really believe it, are you motivated to tell others about the hope that's only found in Christ? Um, let me tell you a little story about um, our trip last week. Uh, my buddy Bob Rudy and I went on a um, little hiking expedition while we were in Estes Park. And um, we were headed up to a high mountain lake. I'll just show you a picture of it. And we made it. Um, this lake is called Lake Isabel. It's right outside of Ward, Colorado, where I worked as a kid. I've not been to um, uh, Lake Isabel since um, 1976. And I was glad to see that at the age of 60, I could still make it. That made me feel pretty good. Okay? And so, you know, a couple of skinny guys like Bob and I were able to make it up to this high mountain lake. Okay? Um, and so, make, going up there was pretty easy. We didn't have too much trouble. But when we got up there and sat down and rested and, you know, how you do as you get older, things start to stiffen up. And, uh, you know, uh, I call it getting all stoved up. And we were pretty stoved up. And so on the trail back down, you know, um, I've been in the, in the mountains a lot more than Bob has. And uh, Bob didn't quite have as much reserve left as I did, but we both had to do the sort of things that just said, okay, I just got to take the next step in the next step. And you got to keep on taking the next step. And so that's my charge to you guys tonight. You ask, so what? Okay, so what should I be doing? And my charge to you is to keep taking the next step. Keep studying the Word. Continue to pursue your relationship with Christ in prayer. Continue to do the spiritual disciplines that Bill Roberson and the uh, ED classes teach you so well. Continue to take that next step even when you're tired and you want to sit down. Continue to do the sort of things to be that ambassador that uh, God calls us to be. Keep taking that next step. And so each week I'm going to focus on one thing that uh, just spoke to me out of this. And for this, um, with chapter 1 being so focused on the person of Christ, it made me think of Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run or in my case, walk with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, you know, he didn't want to go to that cross. But for you and me, he did. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility 
by sinners against himself. And this last part I could have highlighted as well. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, my buddy Bob, even though he was tired, didn't lose heart. And he kept taking that next step. And that's what we're called to do as we read through the book of Revelation. Keep taking that next step wherever you are. At home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, continue to do the things that will allow you to be the ambassador that Christ calls you to be, to be his representative. You are the hands and feet of Christ. Do we really believe this? If so, let's live like people who fix our eyes on Christ, who uh, run with endurance the race that's set before us, and who don't grow weary and lose heart. Next week, we're going to be uh, uh, focusing in on these seven churches, the letters to the seven churches. And as you think about them this week, look at these five things. What do they say about Christ? What sort of commendation, if any, do they give to the church? Hint, hint. What sort of rebuke do they give to the church, if any? Okay. What sort of exhortation do they give to the church? And then what sort of promise do they give to the one who conquers? So as you read through Revelation 2 and 3, look at those things. Um, We have now waiting for us downstairs a delicious smorgasbord of ice cream and desserts, okay? And so we're going to be done every, every week by about 8 o'clock, and, but we're not done because we want you to go downstairs and we'll always have something sweet to eat, you know, watermelon, uh, Coke floats one week. We're going to have some fun things to do, but we want to use this time to get to know each other as we journey together as ambassadors of Christ. So go grab some ice cream. Let me pray for us before we uh, let you go. I'm going to stick around up here. If you have questions from tonight, and I know there are a thousand, so I'm going to try to leave more time next time for questions and whatnot. But um, I'll be up here. Come on up and ask your questions, and we'll all grab some ice cream. So thanks for being here tonight. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for uh, being our God and for the privilege to call you Father and for the privilege to um, have a relationship with your Son. Father, we, uh, we celebrate the fact that uh, uh, even though you could use uh, stones and chairs and things like that um, to better represent you, that you uh, have chosen to use us. And so, Father, may we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And may we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, that we run the race with endurance, that we not grow weary, that we not lose heart, and that we come back next week to see what you have to say to the um, seven churches. So thanks for this time, and thanks for each one of these folks, Father. Amen.